Here's Pastor Ed with a brief preview of today's edition of Voice of Faith. Paul says their God is their stomachs. They are just bound to this present world. They're living for the moment. And then he goes on to say their glory is their shame. Their glory. The things that they should be ashamed of, they glory in. You think of... um, Just so many people that boast about their sinful behavior. Stop and think about approaching the United States border after visiting Canada. You stop and provide proper identification. Now, if you don't have proper identification, you won't be allowed in. And that identification comes from the fact that you are a citizen of the United States. And you are a citizen because you were born here or have naturalized. Pastor Ed will remind us today that we are citizens of heaven and that we must live as if we are citizens of heaven. There are many who profess to be citizens who actually aren't. They don't have the proper identification. Now, here's Pastor Ed in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verse 17, with part one of his message entitled, Living as Citizens of Heaven. We are Christians. We're to be like Christ in our attitude, in our outlook, in the way we live our lives. And Paul the Apostle talks about our citizenship and says that we're in this world, but yet we have our citizenship in heaven. Living as citizens of heaven. That's the topic this morning. Living as citizens of heaven. It says, join with others in following my example. Brothers And take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. What a promise! What a hope! What a glorious future awaits the believer, living like citizens of heaven. I'd like to take three words from this text and wrap the sermon around these three words. They're essential for us to live like citizens of heaven. If we're going to live like citizens of heaven, we have to recognize that there are enemies that we must avoid. There are examples that we must follow. And there's an expectation that we must embrace. There was an article written not too long ago, an editorial, One Nation Over God. In that Article, it was showing how our nation is going in a direction where we feel that we were over God. 
We're pushing aside his laws. We're discarding the precepts that our nation was founded on. And we're piloting our own way as though God is under us rather than over us. Yes, in the Pledge of Allegiance, we say one nation under God. But we live as a nation as though we could sit as judges over God. How can we live in a culture that's going away from God, a prodigal nation? How can we live as citizens of heaven? Well, first of all, recognize the enemies. In Philippians 3, verses 18 to 9, 19, it says, For as I've often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of what? The cross. Paul is speaking about familiar faces, well-known people in that church at Philippi. He's speaking about people that the church would have been familiar with. Their names were familiar. Their faces were familiar. They had at one time been a part of that community. There's a quote that I'd like to put up. They see themselves as professing members of the church, but their ultimate designation is that of enemies of the cross. To use our terminology, we might call them backsliders. To use our phraseology, we might say that They were once walking with God, but now their life is in contradiction to God. You see that in the liberal wing of the church, and you see that in the conservative wing of the church. You see that in the whole spectrum of Christianity, where people may give recognition to a creed. They may give recognition to some theological statement concerning the Trinity or concerning salvation, but the life that they live is set against it, nullifies the cross, is in contradiction to what Jesus lived and taught and asked us to do. Look at their mindset in verse 19. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, Their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Notice, their God is their stomach. What is it saying? It's saying that they are sensual. Their appetites, their desires drive and direct and determine what they're going to do and how they're going to live their lives. They're in it for personal satisfaction and personal self-indulgence. Paul says, their God is their stomachs. They are just bound to this present world. They're living for the moment. And then he goes on to say, their glory is their shame. Their glory. The things that they should be ashamed of, they glory in. You think of um, just so many people that boast about their sinful behavior. In Isaiah Chapter 5, verse 20. What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil. 
that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. They've turned everything around. And what Paul is saying is that there are those who should be ashamed of a certain type of behavior, sinful behavior, an attitude, an outlook, but yet they boast about it. I think of so many um, in our nation, in so many arenas, who boast about their licentious, sinful lifestyles, whether they're in politics or whether they're in the sports world or whether they're in just Hollywood, wherever. And Paul is saying they've lost the ability to blush. Their outlook, we've looked at their outlook. What is it? It's a grid that they look at life through. That grid simply sees life through worldly values. It's like taking the backdrop of heaven away and all they see is the present, the moment, this hour. And they judge life on the basis of the present, the moment, this hour. He's saying they have a worldly mindset. In Romans chapter 8, verses 5 to 8, it says, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's laws, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. The present life means far more to them than the future, than eternity. And Christians aren't to live that way. Christians are to be different. We're to take up our cross and follow Christ. What he is saying at this moment is that it's possible to be an enemy of the cross by our lifestyle if it contradicts the message of the cross. Not only can we contradict doctrine by what we say, but by how we live. In Colossians, it says, set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Now, that doesn't mean that we become mystical and we neglect to pay our bills and we neglect our responsibilities and we neglect to do things that are important in this world. But it means that our heart is out to serve God, that the motivation of our life is to please the Lord, and that we measure everything by eternal values. Also, their destiny. We've looked at their mindset and then their destiny in verse 19. Their destiny is destruction. Because they could not see beyond time into eternity... They're bound by time, and they're bound by this present world. They didn't live for eternity, and so they won't live in eternity. Let me say that once more. They didn't live for eternity, so they won't live in eternity. If we're not living for the world to come, if we're not living 
for God. How can we expect to enjoy God's heaven? We'll be out of place there. And so he's calling Christians to recognize that there is an enemy. Now, we have many enemies, Satan, the demonic world, but there is a subtle enemy. That subtle enemy are those who make a profession but lack the possession of that relationship with God, who by their lifestyle nullify the message of the cross. And so Paul the Apostle said, if you're going to live as a citizen of heaven, recognize the enemy. And then he doesn't stop there, but he says, also recognize the examples, examples to follow. In verse 17, join with others in following my example, my brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. We are simply to follow good examples. I'll say it again. We are to follow good examples. Take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. And he, he talks about that particular pattern, those good examples. He talks about Paul. Paul says, I'm an example. Let me ask you, if you were to say to people in the church who've come to accept Christ, okay, follow me now. Live the way I live. First of all, you'd feel a little uncomfortable saying that, but we should be able to say that. Paul said it. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. This is how you are to live the Christian life. Listen, somebody's following our example. We're an epistle, the Bible says, known and read of all men. So people look at the life that we live, and whether consciously or unconsciously, they imitate some of those things. You're the only gospel that some people hear. What if everybody's life was to look like your life as you followed Christ? What would their church attendance be? What would, their, what would the giving of the church look like? What would the spiritual life look like? Um, Paul said, follow. And he says, according to the pattern we gave you. He gives himself an example. And Paul humbles himself. Paul's not interested in exalting himself. He's following Christ. Timothy. It says he looks out for other people's interest. He, he's different. He says, for everyone looks out for their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But Timothy was different. He would look out for the interest of other people. How are they doing in their relationship with God? How are they doing in their walk with God? How are they doing in their relationship with the Lord? That's Timothy's concern. He's putting their concerns before himself. The example of Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, it says, he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life. Are there those who are saying, listen, I'm going to give my life to the cause of Jesus Christ. I'm going to give my life to serving the Lord. It's about living for God. Christianity is more than the creed that we give mental assent to. It's more than something that we sing about in church. It's more than something that we talk about. It's something we live. And it governs and guides and directs 
all that we are and all that we have. In 1 Corinthians 4, 16 and then 11, 1, it says, Therefore I urge you to imitate me. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I, I was thinking about this past week. I was on the Sound of Life and Tom Zaradnik was interviewing me and he was asking me about different mentors in my life. I said, one of the things that each one of those mentors had in common was this. Each one of the men who were mentors in my life were in it, in the ministry, because they just wanted to serve God. That's all it was for them. Pastor Greco, he was bivocational for years. Didn't even take a salary. Wasn't concerned about money. He was concerned about serving God. I think of my father-in-law. All he was concerned about was serving the Lord. And, and the worldly things of this life were not a concern for him. It, his concern was to honor Christ. And again and again, I could look at uh, men like Earl Baldwin, I used to travel down to Baltimore and pray with him. I'd have him come up and preach in the church and we would talk. He would, he would conduct some of the sexual meetings that I was involved in and on and on. And this man was a real man of faith. And each one of those people left the mark and contributed to my life. We ought to be looking for people who will be examples for us. And not everyone can be an example in everything. Some people have a a great, great faith. Other people have an incredible, strong prayer life. There are others that just walk in humility before the Lord and they magnify the Lord. Some people just have such a, a wisdom. And you pray as you go into this year. Maybe this mentor will be a person in the church. Maybe it will be somebody who's already in heaven, but they left their writings behind, their books or their uh, biography. And, and you read and you think about the life that they've lived. Paul the Apostle says real clearly, join with others and following my example. There's a whole train of people that follow the example of Paul that were living for Christ, not for themselves. They were willing to humble themselves. And take the form of a servant. And so we have, we are to follow good examples. Then we are to become good examples. Not only follow good examples, but become good examples. Join with others in following my example. Who are you going to influence this year? Who are you going to help shape their life and impact their thinking? There are people looking at how we live, how we respond to our trials, how we respond to the things that happen in life. And if we're walking close to the Lord, we'll be a blessing to them. But if we're not, we could be a stumbling block to them. Paul the Apostle says, remember examples. If we're going to be citizens of heaven... We have to recognize there's an enemy. That enemy is anybody who's going to nullify the cross, who by their life denies that the Christian life is a matter of taking up the cross and following Christ. We're going to pray and look for godly examples of men and people. 
men and women who are serving the Lord and we can say, I see Christ in them. Now, always be careful with examples. Uh, We're not to deify them. Only God deserves that type of honor and worship. All men have their limitations. But we're to look at men and women and say, Lord, can brother or sister so-and-so teach me something about the Christian life and be teachable in our attitude? Uh, I remember, again, Ed Miller, one of the men who influenced my life. He's home to be with the Lord, but I remember having breakfast with him on a regular basis, praying together, and him talking about the ministry and talking about the journey of life. And how that shaped some of my thinking. I want to encourage you. Examples. And then the last and final thing is expectations. Expectations. In verses 20 to 21. But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ. Who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. The early church had a hope that Christ was going to return. It was one of the central doctrines. First, second, third, fourth century. It was one of the central doctrines. They believed that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose from the dead, and that he was coming back again. We cannot lose a central doctrine. It will affect us. We cannot lose the hope of the second coming of the Lord. Early Christians live with an anticipation that Christ would return. And that was the right way to live for all of the 2,000 years of church history. Every generation is to expect his return. We don't know when it will be. We pray that it will be our generation. But we're to live with this constant expectancy. When you have that expectancy you recognize that I want prophecy to be fulfilled the promises of scripture to be fulfilled I want to see the Lord return like he promised in his word like the church has hoped for for generations and you begin praying even so come Lord Jesus you pray in the Lord's prayer thy kingdom come Lord come When we're living with a sense of expectation, we realize the responsibility of our citizenship, our heavenly citizenship. Roman citizens who were at various outposts throughout the Grecian world were to communicate the culture of Rome, the laws of Rome, the values of Rome, the dress of Rome. You knew that they were Roman citizens by how they lived. Now, Roman citizens weren't thinking, oh, I'm going to go back to Rome. They didn't want them there at Rome because it was overpopulated. Uh, They had a terrible economy in the city. And so they were real pleased that their soldiers resettled the outskirts of the empire and represented Rome. God's placed us here to represent heaven. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it 
until the day of Jesus Christ. This is a wonderful truth taken from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 6. And as trying times enter into your life, it's important to continually keep this at the forefront of your thoughts. Each day here on Voice of Faith, Pastor Ed will be teaching verse by verse through Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Thanks for joining us today. You've been listening to Voice of Faith, the radio ministry of Dr. Edward Jones of Faith Assembly in Poughkeepsie, New York. Now, we want to encourage you to log on to voiceoffaithradio.com and spend some time getting to know us. To stay current with what's being broadcasted here on Voice of Faith, subscribe to our Twitter feed at VOF Radio 1. Again, to follow the Voice of Faith Twitter feed or to access the archive of messages, log on to voiceoffaithradio.com. Or if you'd like, you can always give us a call. Our phone number is 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next edition of Voice of Faith. On behalf of Pastor Ed, Faith Assembly, and the entire production team, we want to say thank you for joining us and come back next time for another edition of Voice of Faith.